Let's pray. Lord, give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to baptism, before I splash the water on and speak the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I either ask the parents or the baptizee, if they're old enough, do you renounce the devil, all of his works and all of his ways? And they smile and say, we do. And it's the smile that gives them away, the, the smile that kind of says, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that quaint? Pastor still believes in the devil. In the 1892 Anglican Book of Common Prayer, it's a little more forthright. In fact, it's a lot more forthright. It, it, the prayer would be, grant that this child may have power and strength to have victory and to triumph over the devil, the world, and the flesh. And the parents in the congregation are to respond with a throaty amen. There are only two possible reasons for all the bad stuff that happens, both to us and in the world. Either we are the victims of arbitrary and random events, or there is someone or something behind all these terrible things. The first one says no matter what we do or who we are, it's all random, unpredictable, and unpreventable, so the best we can do is hold on and hope for the best. The second one says it is not random, not unpredictable, not unpreventable. We may be victims, but there is something that we can at least do about some of it. The Bible gives a name to that someone or something, actually several names, devil, Satan, Lucifer, evil one, prince of darkness, angel of light. You know, Satan translates out of the Hebrew as adversary. Devil translates as evil one. Uh, there's, those are more descriptions, though, of what he is, not who he is. In Isaiah 14, 12, it says, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens, I will set up my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly. In the remotest parts of the north, I will ascend above the highest clouds, I will make myself like the most high, but you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit, Isaiah says. And this is where, when we are reading the English translations of the Bible, that we miss something important. You see, if we lived a hundred or so years ago, it would have said Lucifer instead of Shining Morning Star. And it would have been capitalized, as in a proper name. Suddenly, by the way, that makes it a lot more personal. It is not something that is out to get us, a vague something that's just out there somewhere. It is someone, and he has a name. Now, John the baptizer is standing in the Jordan River baptizing people. Now, by the way, baptism is not a Christian invention. All the way back to the book of Exodus, the 30th chapter, God declares that the priests must wash their hands and feet before entering the church. And all through the Old Testament, especially in those first five books, there's a lot of things about people needing to wash, to purify themselves before they do anything holy. The Essenes, a small group of priests, had a daily ritual of washing themselves in total immersion before they did anything. And by the way, they lived in the middle of the desert, which means water was scarce, so it must have been a really big deal. And so when John the baptizer said, the way you show you understand the Messiah is coming and that you want to be ready for him, you get baptized, you, you, you get purified. It made perfect sense. The unholy is reclaimed by the holy, the impure by the pure. We connect this to the baptism ceremony where it says, do you renounce the devil, all of his works and all of his ways? Now, if there is no consciousness, no thought process behind all the world's evil, then baptism and prayer and being good, well, it's not going to protect you. 
you are the random victim of bad stuff and it can't be prevented. So just give up, give in, and suffer. But if all this evil is the work of something or someone, and there is also someone or something that loves you, wants to protect you, and keep you safe, and is willing to stand between you and the evil, then baptism, communion, prayer, and worship become far more important. Not the acts themselves, but the faith they declare in the whoever it is that can protect you and save you. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. All right, time to make the connection. When you send out your roots, you are sending them back to the waters of your baptism. You draw everything you need from your identity in Jesus. The water of baptism not only washes away your sin and cleans you up and makes you presentable before God, but you can draw on its waters all the days of your life for everything that you need so that you can always bear fruit, even in the toughest of times. After Jesus has a chance to get born, get woke up by that shepherd boy playing his drum, get some presents from the wise men, get left behind at the temple by his parents, and then he goes silent for about 18 years. He shows up at the Jordan River and asks to be baptized by John. John's response is, I I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, let it be. And John says, okay. But not without adding, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, loud enough so that everybody can hear. Then before the water is even dried from his forehead, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert to face Satan. Now, Jesus and Satan have known each other since the beginning of time, but not for all eternity. You see, one is eternal, the other is not. One is the Son of God, the other is a pretender. One is the Savior, the other is a deceiver. At Christmas and Easter, the words of St. Paul from Philippians 2 are part of our lessons. Your attitude, meaning our attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The only way the Creator can leave heaven and become one of his creations, get born, live, be hungry, sad, lonely, suffer, and die, is to clearly know who he is. The only way Jesus can allow himself to be baptized and then head out into the desert to face a fallen angel who would be king if nobody stands against him is to know who he is. At your baptism, the water crossed your brow and the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you were baptized here, I then said, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Those words are spoken so that you will always know who you are. No matter where you go, no matter what is happening, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you are marked with the cross of Christ forever. You can reject this promise. You can wander away from it. You can dismiss it as a myth or a fairy tale. You know, one of those, oh, isn't that quaint. But it does not change what was offered you that day when the water flowed and the word spoke. To know who you are, not in your eyes, not in the eyes of social media, not in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of anybody, except God, is a gift from God to you in order to get you through the hardest 
and the toughest times in your life, but also to guide and direct you through the simplest and most joyful times in your life. Now, if this were last year, we're now in series A, but if we were back in series C, our lessons would be about Jesus telling us to always be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Do you know how to make yourself indispensable? So necessary that no one would ever think about getting rid of you. In fact, they'll give you everything you want in order to stay. All you got to do is find something the world needs, something that they are desperate for, but also something that they are just a little bit afraid of. Then offer to help them. Be the go-between. Bravely step where they're afraid to go. See, there is actually nothing they need to be afraid of. In fact, they could do exactly what you are doing and maybe even do it better. But as long as you capitalize on their fears and insecurities, you control them by controlling the flow of information or grace or love or forgiveness. The church has become way too good at this. See, as Christians, we sometimes act as if what God did when he got born as of, to a virgin in a stable in Bethlehem had nothing to do with him loving us. We cancel out John 3.16. We're like, yeah, God did become one of us and stuff, but any day now he's going to show back up and get even to, uh, with us for that whole death on a cross thing. And far too often, churches and pastors have pushed this fear. The whole always be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Like a child doing something he or she should not be doing, and then hearing the front door open and realizing they have been caught, and the fear and dread and panic consumes them. Well, in the case of the church... Just like little children running away and hiding in a closet or under a bed so it doesn't have to face their parents, the church runs away so it doesn't have to see Jesus because they're sure what, he, well, what he's going to say, and so they hide in the darkness. Now, there is and must be a holy tension between the law and the gospel. It is so easy to slide to one side or the other, being the prodigal son who doesn't care enough and the older brother who cares too much. Between thinking you can save yourself by being perfect and it not mattering what you do because God's going to save you no matter what. Both ends of the spectrum are dangerous to the soul. My dad worked out of state when I was growing up and he would be gone for weeks at a time. In the days before cell phones and GPS, he, he would call long distance, it would cost a fortune, and he would simply say he planned on coming home Tuesday. But it depended on how far he had to drive, whether the truck broke down, whether he got finished when he thought he was going to finish. Now, when he got home, we would almost always go to dinner at the Yum Yum Tree, and then we would next go, go next door to the exotic world of Pier 1, where we would sometimes eat chocolate-covered grasshoppers. There were times when he would get home by noon. Other times when he would arrive by 3 p.m. Sometimes he wouldn't get home until late at night, long after my sister and I had gone to sleep. Sometimes he wouldn't get home till the next day or, or even later. But my mom would always tell my sister and I to make sure our room was cleaned, that our homework was done so that if he got home in time, we could go to dinner. Now, it wasn't a threat or, or her being mean. You know, when my friends would do something wrong and their mom would say, just wait till your dad gets home, that meant 5 p.m. When I did something wrong and my mom said, wait till your dad got home, that would mean two or three weeks sometimes, and everybody would have forgotten what I had done. It was a whole different thing. Now, my dad might always not get home in time to go to dinner, but my sister and I were to be ready. It was not a feeling of dread or fear, but excitement. 
Because even if there were things that we had to share that we weren't so proud of, we knew that our dad loved us. And so my sister and I waited in expectation. That sentiment is what Jesus wants us to hear when he says, stay awake and be ready. We are not to wait in fear and dread, but hope and anticipation. Are on tippy toes, looking expectantly out the window for the first sign of his arrival, not hiding under the bed or in the closet with the light off. See, to know who you are, meaning a sinner who doesn't always do what he or she is supposed to do and who struggles with life and loving their neighbor, let alone their enemy, and sometimes forgets to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, let alone even, well, you know how that goes. It shouldn't be scary. Remember the next part of John 3.16. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you know how the birth of Jesus starts off in Matthew's gospel? The genealogy. Name after name after name after name. And all too often people skip it or read it quickly so that they can get to the good stuff. But to be honest, the genealogy is the good stuff. You see, hidden amongst the heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jesse, King David, is Tamar. Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, who are very different heroes of the faith. If you haven't found an Advent devotional, I encourage you to look up the stories of these brave yet unorthodox women who are the great-great-grandmothers of Jesus. These are the kind of women people at family gatherings spoke in hushed tones about. You know, those kind of women. And yet when they arrive, they're also the life of the party, Jesus says. Now, God is not laying out a 12-step program so everyone is practically, if not properly, perfect when his son arrives. God is making an announcement. You see, God's light, even if it is so bright it causes us to squint and cover our eyes, ah, it shines so that we can no longer hide in our own shadows or under the bed or in the closet. We no longer blend in with the darkness because his light points right to us. But it shines with healing. Instead of fear and anxiety, the light of Advent that keeps growing until Christmas Day when the light of God enters our world is a chance to think about why this is good news for us and for the world. It's a chance to ask God questions like, so why do we need a Savior? And exactly what's He saving us from? And why does God becoming flesh and blood and slipping into my world make a difference? And by the way, what is God saving me for. As the church, we need to do more reminding and encouraging than spreading fear and worry. When Jesus returns, which is what this whole season is about, it means there is more to our story and God's story than what has been written or read. There's a whole other chapter waiting to be lived. And I'll be honest, it's pretty exciting. And so we ask God to grant to us who walk by faith and through His grace know who we are because once upon a time, Water was poured over us, or we were poured into water, and someone said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We understand his light reflects off us, and we pray that it would shine into the grief and the pain and the fear of this world, our community, our neighbors, our friends and family. And that light would be able to draw them into his presence by its holy glow. And this season becomes a chance for them to know who they are, unique and unreproducible miracles. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.